You are listening to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring you the best tactics, strategies, and actionable insights for change through our powerful interviews with change management practitioners and leaders. And now here's your host, Teresa Moulton. Hi, my name is Teresa Moulton, and I am the Editor-in-Chief of the Change Management Review. And I'm here with Lindsay Agnes of the Change Corporation. Welcome, Lindsay. Welcome, Teresa, and thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're very excited to have you here. Um, You bring so much uh, wealth of knowledge around culture and motivation and behavioral change. And um, let me introduce you and then we'll get started with a podcast. Yeah. Okay. So Lindsay is one of the UK's leading change specialists, specializing in staff engagement, performance improvement, behavioral change and motivation. Her career includes 11 years as a change management consultant, corporate trainer, and coach for PwC, and now as an entrepreneur running her own company. She has used her skills to build capability and capacity for change in large private and public organizations throughout the UK, Europe, and the United States. Her flexible, collaborative approach delivers proven measurable results. Lindsay is the first woman master trainer of NLP in the UK, accredited through the American Board of NLP. She is an author of four best-selling books on organizational change management and personal change. So without further ado, welcome, Lindsay. (laughs) Thank you. That's a lot to live up to, isn't it, Teresa? (laughs) It is. It is. But, but you know, uh, after our previous conversation, I don't think there's any issue. I think you're right there. Um, One thing that crossed my mind is that not everybody might understand what NLP is. Could you just tell us what that is before we get started? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, and it's a technology for change that I got into in the very late 1990s, in the beginning. And I was already working at uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers at the time, actually training in, in many different change technologies. But I found NLP really helped in this whole field of personal change and organizational change. So neuro is really around what goes on in your mindset, you know, how you think. Uh, Linguistics is all about how we use language. And that can be very interesting, you know, to listen into the kind of metaphors and stories that organizations use about their past in particular. And programming is really around what we believe is possible and those patterns of behavior that often get entrenched in individuals and in organizations. So NLP as a package, I feel, really gave me an opportunity to kind of get into change in in a slightly different way. And, And it's proved to be invaluable to me, you know, in terms of the work I do with individuals and with organizations, you know, over, over the years. Great. Thank you so much. And that leads us right into our first question, which is, um, what is organizational culture? Yeah, it's a great question, that one, isn't it? Uh, I mean, often if you if you open the books, they will say things like, it's the way that we do things around here. Uh, and in, in my experience, you know, organizational culture 
when you get down, when you boil it down to the nitty gritty, is really around the values and behaviours of an organisation, which sometimes are articulated. They may not be the actual values and behaviours, but the organisation has had a go at writing them down. Sometimes they're very unconscious, you know, in in insofar as they occur in the organisation, uh, but they've never really tried to articulate them. But I think the culture, when you know, when you really boil it down to what it's really about, it's around values. You know, what's important to people that work in that organisation, and how do they behave? In that organization and you know are those behaviors the type of behaviors that will drive the a successful strategy for that organization or you know are those behaviors holding that organization back in some way yes and you know uh one of the observations i've had just in general around some of the content that is out there uh for change professionals is that culture is making a comeback um, cu- culture itself is becoming something that we really need to pay attention to, understanding and mm-hmm. accurately evaluating before we do any type of change work, whether it's programmatic or organic uh, change work as we go through it. So with that being said, what are some of the drivers uh, of organizational culture that you've experienced? I think there can be many, Teresa. I mean, I'm just thinking about um a project that we've been working on recently for uh, a large teaching hospital. And there it was around uh, the behaviour in the organisation, not necessarily driving where that organisation needed to be, uh, and some big differences, you know, between clinical and administrative staff behaviour. So sometimes it can be the fact that uh, the way people are behaving is not delivering, you know, the outcome or the customer focus that that, that organisation might need. We, we often see that or it can be a new CEO coming in or a new leadership team wanting to introduce a new strategy and realising that the culture of the organisation does not necessarily align with that strategy. That's something that we see very often. And, and who was, I think it was Peter Drucker said that uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So it's a bit like, you know, you can have any strategy you like, but actually if people are not aligned to that and the way that they deliver their work and the way that they behave is not aligned to that strategy, then the strategy is never going to be uh, fully utilised and fully achieved. You're never going to you know, realise the, the entire benefits from that. So we see that sometimes it's economically driven. You know, if an organisation is not doing so well in the marketplace, uh, then, you know, it can be a really good place to start looking in terms of what's happened and how do we need to um accommodate you know and modify so that we can you know be much more competitive in in the future so there's some of the things that um that we see most regularly uh, and and i would say because we do quite a lot of public sector work i mean the difference there is that it's it's very often either a new ceo coming in or it's uh it's the way that the organization is currently behaving needs to shift and, you know, in some public sector organisations, there has been, you know, a, a real shift towards them becoming much less bureaucratic and, you know, and a bit more market driven and, and more entrepreneurial. But that's quite a big shift, you know, for something for a very kind of traditional uh, workplace. 
Yes. And um, I think as, as change professionals, we really do, and I'm speaking for myself, but some colleagues as well, we really do struggle about around how do you make the rubber hit the road on mm-hmm. organizational culture change. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you was, why is it so hard to motivate staff uh, to change their behavior? Yeah, that I mean, that's something that I've grappled with, I guess, my whole career. But I, I feel as though through the years, I've, I've got to understand it better, you know, than, than I did initially. And NLP has certainly helped me do that a little bit as well. And, and I think one of the things I've learned is that, um, you know, you can do a lot of work as a change professional, you can do a lot of work to articulate what the values and, and behaviours and the strategy might need to be. And you put nice posters on the wall. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't guarantee that anything is, is going to change. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And one of the reasons is that, um, you know, it's, it's a bit like if, if you and I, Teresa, you know, we want to get fit and uh, we decide that to get fit, you know, we're going to start running every day. And uh, and that goes okay for a little while, a few days, and then you know one day it's pouring with rain, you know, and that new Netflix series that we've got into is on the TV. You know, what do we do? You know, do we do we go out in the freezing cold, wet rain? You know, or do we sit indoors and watch Netflix? So. I, th- I think for most people, if they're honest you know, with themselves, they'd probably sit indoors and watch Netflix. And and in 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 you know, in in terms of um, change, we we call this current moment bias or temporal discounting. And I think what we see in organisations is for staff to really be motivated to change. They need to understand how that change in the future, because there's always some kind of time lag. They need to understand that that change in the future is somehow going to be better than than where they are right now. And I think often organisations or leadership teams don't necessarily understand that enough. And so they have this very rational approach to change. And yet, you know, we we really want to look into what's the emotional connection that people could have with this change as well. And, And one of the phrases that I always talk about in a very common change management phrase is what's in it for me, you know, or with them. And and I think, you know, it's really important to define and help people understand what that is. And and if you can engage with them to actually create what that should be. Uh, And it's not just for the senior people in the organisation, you know, it's for right through the structure of the organisation. And so I think, you know, we can, we can we can hit the road running, you know, kind of hit the ground running if we understand that, because otherwise, you know, you get to a point where if people don't really understand the benefit of the change in, in the future, then actually, are they really motivated to do something different? Probably not. And we can we can force some of that change through amending and aligning our performance measures and our you know other HR policies and procedures. But really, if you want to achieve all the benefits of that change, you want to get the staff motivated to do something differently as as well. So that's quite a long answer. But but when when I really understood that, it really helped me realize actually at the start of a change project, it's really important to spend time with frontline staff, engaging them and really helping them understand, you know, what what the 
benefits and the improvements are going to be over the longer term. And of course, it takes time and, and energy to, to create that commitment. But when you've got it, then it saves time in, in the long term. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And, you know, the more you're talking about culture and, you know, what to do about changing it um, or changing the mindset all the way through the organization, um, I keep thinking about, you know, how do we solve that challenge? And you spoke a bit to uh, performance improvement and alignment. Mm-hmm. Are there any other um, practices that are in your toolbox that you might might share with us in terms of how to actually uh, activate the, the organizational culture change? Yeah, I mean, just thinking about some work we're doing at the going back to the example of the the large teaching hospital and uh, and there you know we have spent quite a lot of time articulating the values and behaviors that will drive that change for the organization uh, and and we did that not from an ivory tower you know with the with the senior team but we did that through surveying staff and having focus groups and really doing our best to to engage with them Uh, and now we're moving into a phase where we have developed some kind of short sharp training interventions so we've got an Mm. hour online training that we're going to be delivering and also some quite innovative uh, gamification techniques to use with with teams through a team leader approach uh, and then we'll be aligning with HR policies and procedures. So I think it's never, I often say it's never one silver bullet. You know, it's lots of things that you can do to start uh, motivating and engaging with people in uh, in a way that will sustain that, that change over the longer term. But, it, you know, as I said, it takes time and it takes energy. Uh, but yes, there are yes. no, I don't think there are any real shortcuts. You know, often people say to me, well, how do we get there? fast Lindsay you know and I'll say well you know there is a process to go through and uh, and you can tell people what you want them to do differently but that you're not going to get the long-term sustainable differences that uh, that that you want yeah no that was great thank you and then if I can selfishly ask a follow-up question yeah, I um, <laughs> I always have had this question what are some of the nascent signs that the organizational culture is in fact changing. How do you know when it's just kind of gonna turn that corner? Yeah, that I think that's a really interesting question, actually. And, and I think what you start to see, particularly in organizations that do have st- you know, regular staff surveys, is that you'll start to notice that those, you know, particularly around the engagement results and motivation results, they start to improve. So you'll start to see some shifts in, in that area. I mean, that's a very obvious mm-hmm. one. And it's one that often we'll sit down and work work with an organization and say look let's use this if you've already got it in place let's use this um but equally you know i'm thinking of a piece of work that um that we did with an organization where we actually developed uh the survey and the focus group process and there you know we were able to demonstrate that within 12 months you know there had been a 70 percent increase you know improvement in the way that uh, staff were being engaged and managed by their 
managers and team leaders. So I think I think there are ways where you you know measurable ways that you can utilize to be able to demonstrate you know those those distinct improvements. Oh, thank you. That really made a lot of sense. I appreciate it. <laughs> I've been pondering on this for quite a while, and I realized, oh, here we are with LinkedIn, yeah. the perfect person to ask this <laughs> and question. You know, I, think, I think sometimes, I mean, there are these very popular, you know, big staff surveys that go out. Uh, but one of the things that, that we've done over the years is there's so many good bits of software now where you can develop and create your own survey quite easily. And mm-hmm. so if you use that at the beginning of a project and use it at the end of the project, you know, you can get some real kind of hard data, which mm-hmm. has changed professionals. That's something that we've always kind of struggled with a little bit. But, you know, mm-hmm. that gives you some hard data and results that you can take back into the organization and show them you know, how things have improved. Yeah, that's great. And on that note, how do you uh, see NLP contributing to making culture change more sustainable? Yeah, I think, you know, as I was saying earlier, one of the things that um, where NLP has helped, it's it's helped in in a couple of ways. I think what First, it's helped in terms of really understanding the importance of engaging with the emotional side of individuals within an organization and spending the time really helping them or understanding, you know, what's important to them around um, where the organization might happen to be at that moment. And and the other thing that we've done is, uh, you know, often when we go into an organization from a linguistics point of view, we, we listen you know, because it's fascinating when you start tuning into some of the stories that uh, that you start picking up. And often these stories that are kind of generated through different teams and, and, and they can be almost like the myths of that organization. And, and they'll often tell you a lot about what's really going on. So, for example, you know, if you go into an organization and, and you keep hearing how much it's a, a battle out there and, and it's a struggle and uh, things are difficult, it really gives you an insight into where the culture is of that organization. Or alternatively, you know, you could go in and, and staff will tell you, you know, that actually it's very entrepreneurial and staff are supported. And and there's lots of good news stories. So I think the language that an organization uses gives you a lot of insights. And, and I, I didn't really understand that, you know, until I got into um, NLP. And this thing about programs, you know, I think um, it's interesting. There was some work done by Duke University way back now in 2006. But they, they said that actually 40% of our behavior is just instinctive. You know, it's it's just a program we're just programmable animals really uh, and and I think you know in organizations if you kind of put all of those that programming together you know you get the belief system for that organization and uh, you know one of the things that um, I often call it the rules of the game one of the things that NLP has helped me understand is what are the what's the visible rules of the game and what are the invisible rules of the game that go on in this particular organization and often being able to play those back you know particularly to the leadership team they can they can very often get quite surprised you know particularly that stuff that sits underneath the iceberg that people know happen, but that but they know that it's it's not written down anywhere. So I think it's about really 
going under this the surface level to to understand what's really going on and and i i really feel that nlp has given me and my team you know the ability to do that much more effectively that's great and so when you're talking to a leader about nlp and organizational ch- culture change um how do you how do you help them understand what it is so they can get started? Yeah, I, I think one of the things we, we tend to do is, um, is, is talk in terms of values and behaviours, because I think mm. people can start to get their heads around that. And, and particularly if there are if there is poor behaviour in the organisation, which we have discovered, you know, could be, again, through surveys, focus groups one-to-one interviews, whatever it might be. Uh, but just being able to play that back to the leaders so they can start to understand that actually if we don't do anything, mm-hmm. then you know we're not we're not going to achieve those business benefits that we want to achieve. And just helping leaders understand that a good place to start is to is to have a look at what is the strategy. And, and if that is our vision and our strategy, in an ideal situation, how would people be behaving in order to deliver that? Uh, and that's mm. often a, a good place to start. Um, and we we often you again, you know, we, we like to be data driven as far as possible. And uh, and we use, I mean, something like Cameron and Quinn, which is in the public domain, which helps them. And again, it's a questionnaire, but it helps a leader work with their team to see, okay, this is where the organisation is now and this is where we need to get to in the future. And often, you know, when you put one diagram or or, or one, uh, you get a spider diagram as a result, when you put one on top of the other, it becomes quite apparent, you know, what areas they need to focus on, whether it is about being less bureaucratic, more bureaucratic, you know, it's about, uh, is it a family-driven organisation? Is that helping, not helping? How far is it entrepreneurial, market-driven? You know, it, it gives a lot of very interesting indicators. So so I think giving leaders data <laughs> that's, that's quite hard for them to ignore uh, is a good place to get started. And then later on, you know, we talk more about, um how to align with HR policies and, and procedures. So, you know, at the hospital at the moment, we're coming, we're producing some questions which are values driven. So for recruitment, you can start attracting people that are more like the people that you know will help deliver the direction that the organization needs to move into. But of course, you know, these things take time to shift and uh, and recruitment, you know, is, is just one, one tool, but it can take a while, you know, before you can attract in a, you know, substantial number of people that are willing to um, naturally behave in the way that that organisation needs to move into. But I would say, you know, give a leader a lot of data and it's quite hard for them to ignore it. Right. And, and, just in that conversation with a leader, if you're coming in to do something technical, like a system implementation project, and you're trying to help them with the cultural pieces of that, yeah. is the conversation the same, Lindsay? Or how do you how do you actually get their head out of get the system in? I want my ROI to understanding the softer stuff that's going to actually get in their way if they don't address it now. Yeah, I mean. I think what tends to happen 
is you know so- sometimes we're fortunate enough to be in at the beginning of that of that process and then you can sit down and if it is a systems approach you know is to really again look at okay uh, if this is the way that your policies and, and way of doing things is going to change then mm-hmm. actually what type of new skills because it won't necessarily be okay. just behaviors you know what kind of new skills and behaviors will people need other times and this used to happen a lot actually particularly when I was at PwC on some of the you know much bigger projects is we'd get a call you know after three or four months in saying help you know because again the the system was being implemented but actually they weren't being able to realize all the benefits of that system because of everything we talked about before you know staff still being stuck in that kind of current moment so so I think you know if we're lucky enough to be in at the beginning then you know we can literally do that skills analysis uh, that training analysis, uh, that behavioural change piece that will enable the leader to see how that is actually going to drive the IT uh, or digital change that they want in their organisation. That's great. And then one other question that comes to mind is, what types of projects do you say no to? Oh, that's a really good question. I think that the type of project that we would say no to uh, would be the type of project where the leader doesn't really, or, or the leadership team are not really that interested. You know, they want us to go in and just fix the problem. Right. Uh, and and we don't like to work like that. I mean, we know from the, re- the change management research, particularly the stuff that Proce puts out there, you know, every time they do one of their surveys, you know, it's, it's very clear that one of the big indicators of success is having visible sponsorship and the visible executive sponsorship throughout the the process and we like to work very much arm in arm with our clients as far as possible so we wouldn't really want to take on those sorts of projects where you know we're just supposed to come in and do it you know and then right away and the whole thing has, has changed you know we like to work very much in in collaboration with an organization and with a team of leaders where that change project isn't just going to be flavor of the moment. You know, they are going to spend the time and energy to make sure that that's implemented properly, you know, over a period of time. Great. That makes a lot of sense. I know when I had my, my firm, I had nine different things that I would literally go in and and I, I would, you know, have the initial conversation. But then when we got to the next conversation, I would sit down and say, okay, let's talk about the things that are going to make our relationship and this initiative successful. And, um, you know, if there were two or three things that weren't, uh, weren't there, I would, I would say, well, let's fix these first, you know? Yeah, that's good. I mean, one of the things I've noticed and, um, you know, I know. I also notice it's starting to change back again. Um, but certainly wow. over the last couple of years, you know, working remotely, it does mm. make that a bit more difficult. You know, to really get that hands-on experience. You know, and and on often not being able to be in the office with staff because the staff aren't in the office even. You know, so right. to manage that remotely has been, I would say, has been more of a challenge uh, but it, it hasn't made it any less important 
you know, and uh, and so actually we we're quite grateful that now we're beginning to be back on the ground, not not to the same extent, but we're beginning to be back on the ground uh, more, you know, so that we can help actively engage with with our clients rather than doing it all through through Zoom. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, a few folks that I've spoken with have said the same thing. And what they're talking about um, is about that energy exchange you get just by being human, humanly, yeah. physically in, in contact with, with people in the same room. I mean, it's just this whole different bonding that we do as social animals, I guess. And Yeah, yeah that's it, Trees. And it's like, you know, if we were working together and me saying to you, if you were my client saying, oh, let's go and grab a coffee, you know, or let's have lunch tomorrow or whatever it right. might be, it, it really develops that uh, relationship on a different level. And, and that's it that we've kind of missed a little bit, particularly as we're in the, the people side of change. <laughs> <laughs> For a reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And so um, I know we're getting to be about out of time, but I had one question for you that wanted to make sure we asked. Um, and that is, you know, what lessons can you pass on to others after uh, over 20 years in people change consulting? Yeah, gosh, uh, we've already talked about the one about visible leaders. I think I think the other big lesson is that um, you can never communicate enough. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> So, you know, it's, it never ceases to amaze me how many times, you know, you have to go out there and, and really work hard at communicating and engaging with an organisation. And, and again, you know, sometimes if, we, if we're a bit less experienced, we can be pushed by the leadership team to cut some of that out. And, uh, and I think that's always a risky proposition, you know, because I think if you put the time in, now you know then it, it pays dividends in the future so I think that process of communication and engagement you know with with all levels of, of the organization is probably I mean as I say it sounds that it's not rocket science you know <laughs> but it's it's probably the one thing that has been really important that I've learned over over the years yeah I agree and and so what do you do when somebody that you're, you know, consulting to doesn't, does want to cut the corner? Do you push back and kind of have a sense of, okay, we can only push this far or how do you actually calibrate that amount of, um, I don't know, healthy conflict or discussion? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're there to advise at the end of the day. And I think, you know, we are there, to challenge and to use the re and one of the things that um, that we do quite often is is to use you know the change management research and again the data that's out there to gently push back you know because mm -hmm. we can of often see you know the kind of iceberg coming if if you know they they choose not to listen to us mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think often particularly if you've got good rapport with a client, you know, you've got a good relationship, at least, you know, you can have those conversations. I mean, they don't always, you know, do everything that, that we suggest that, that they do, but I think at least, you know, you can, you can have that debate with them and, and help them understand what some of the implications might be if, if they do try and avoid, you know, some of that best practice. Great. But there's no easy, you know, it's, it's kind of, I think a lot of it is, is about relationships and, uh, you know, how well 
you've got to know the client and and how well you've built that trust you know in in terms of of, of the project yes that's great well thank you so much for your time wisdom and advice on uh, organizational culture and how to change behavior and solve the challenge. Um, it's been really, really insightful. And if people want to get a hold of you, Lindsay, how would they do that? Yeah. Uh, well, my email is Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, at the change corporation, all one word, dot com. Or you can go through, you know, find us through the website, thechangecorporation.com, or just Google Lindsay Agnes and, and you will certainly find me on LinkedIn and, uh, and many other social platforms. Uh, but it's been a pleasure, Teresa. Thank you again for uh, inviting me. Oh, I'm so glad to have had you and, and hope we'll, you'll come back for some more of our events. Definitely. definitely. Lots of things <laughs> planned and you'd be lovely to have as an expert on some of our work. Yeah, no, I'd be delighted. Okay, well, listen, thank you. And um, we will talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review Podcast. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.